Hey, welcome to the Liberal Conservative Podcast. Today we're going to discuss the George Floyd murder at the hands of Minneapolis police officers on May 25th, 2020. Um, There's video of this incident from multiple sources, including surveillance video from a corner market. There's officer body cam video, and there's also civilian cell phone video. The surveillance videos have multiple different timestamps, so I'm going to use the timestamps from the officer's body cam, which seem to be more accurate. Um, Most everyone has likely seen at least some video from this incident, and likely the cell phone video. That's what was distributed the most. And, And until I started researching this incident, I had no idea there were so many angles of this video. You know, looking at all the video gives a much clearer picture of what happened that day. Um, full disclosure, as some of you may know, if you've listened to podcasts before, I'm a former police officer. Um, so I hope I'm not a little biased on this and, and I don't think I will be. So, but as I walk you through the video, I'll give you my, my opinion on why the officers did certain things, especially early on in the encounter. Um, there's the media had scrutinized what the officers did initially, and I really didn't have a problem with it. And I don't think you will either after I explain what they're doing. So let's just start. I mean, the original call to 911 came about 8.01. It was from a convenience store. They'd found that George Floyd had passed a counterfeit $20 bill to buy cigarettes. So at 19.57 hours, based on uh, the surveillance video, which I told you the timestamps are not extremely accurate. So we'll just say roughly 8 o'clock, 1957 is 7.57 hours. Sorry about that. Um, store employees confronted Floyd and the passengers in the vehicle that were with him. He was sitting in a, in a dark color. I think it was a Ford Explorer. Um, they went over. He was in the driver's seat. They went to the passenger seat, attempted to get the cigarettes back. Floyd refused. So they ended up calling the police. Um, Officer Kang it's K-U-E-N-G and Lane, Officer Lane, they arrived together at 8.08. Kang and Lane were brand new police officers with very little experience and they were riding together, which is normal when officers come out on their own. And it's not a safety issue and things like that. Generally, it's because of lack of cars, lack of scout cars. So they park in front of the convenience store. Um, George Floyd was parked across the street from the convenience store. Um, Officer Lane makes contact with George through an open driver's side door. As I told you before, Floyd is in the driver's seat. Uh, After a short time, Lane can be seen pulling his weapon. Um, The media and politicians made a big deal out of this. And I don't really have a problem with this. And and here's why. If you you look at, at Lane's body cam video, I can clearly see Floyd refusing to show the officer his right hand. Um, he's hiding it. It's down by his side and a little bit forward, almost like it's beside the center console reaching to the floor, in my opinion. Um, Floyd, was not, Floyd was not following commands and did not show his hands. The officer, in my opinion, justifiably pulled his weapon. Um, Floyd was creating a an unsafe situation right then. Um, once Floyd shows his hands, soon soon after Lane Lane reholsters his his weapon. So I don't have a problem with this. Um, you know, I told you before I was a police officer, and when I was in the gang task force, you pull your weapon probably once a day in the gang task force, and at least a couple times a week in in a normal patrol officer, just because for safety, people not immediately following your commands. 
And because of Floyd, they know Floyd had already committed the crime of counterfeiting. So it it probably um, raised their threat level a little bit. They were thinking this, this you know, something could happen. So in, ad- in addition to, to Floyd initially not showing his hands, he keeps sticking his left leg out of the car. And that would raise an officer's threat level because it appears to me that Floyd is kind of looking for an escape route. Um, you know, that may not be the case, but it certainly gives indicators from, from my training and especially from my experience that, that that's what he's doing. He's, he's looking for an escape route and he, he's trying to delay the officer. Um, Kang finally takes Floyd out of the car and it's, it's, he uses force, not a, not a, not a whole lot of force. Um, Floyd is not fighting. He's just not being completely compliant. So this, this to me, would raise the officer's threat level. Now, as I told you, these were new officers. So, I mean, you may or may not raise their threat level. It appeared to me that it did. So it took it took Officer Lane about 90 seconds to get Floyd out of the car and handcuffed. And in my opinion, that was too long based on the way Floyd was acting. You know, I told you he was hiding his right hand, which could be an indicator of a weapon. I don't know if he was hiding drugs. We... We know he didn't have a weapon at, at later on after you know after things were said and done. We know he did not have a weapon, but Lane didn't know that at the time. So you know, once again, the media and politicians were critical that the officers never told Floyd why he was handcuffed. And in police training, you never want to escalate the situation when he did not have Floyd contained, did not even have him handcuffed. You don't want to tell him, "Hey, I'm going to handcuff you. You're going to jail." You you just don't. It increases. You're way more likely to fight someone if they if they know they're going to jail. They know there there's charges against them. So it's it is normal to not tell someone their charges before they are in custody or before they're detained, because like I just said, if someone knows they're going to jail, it unnecessarily escalates the situation. So. However, to me, the officer's experience shows in this instance, officers can de-escalate a hand, a handcuffing situation. Um, by just telling them what's happening. Say, I, I've said it many times. It says, you're not under arrest. I'm detaining you while we figure everything out. These handcuffs come, can come off as easily as they go on. And every time I've given that speech to someone who is a hardened criminal, it always works out. And I, th- I think if the officers would have maybe de-escalated a little bit, um, it would have been easier to get him under in in custody or detained at the time. So um, several media outlets I found during during my research commented that Floyd was already in distress. Um, some even argued that Floyd did not need to be handcuffed, and I absolutely do not agree. I see that he's upset, and I see that he's, that he's in handcuffs. I mean, he's upset that he's in handcuffs, but I do not see him under any sort of duress. Now, I just told you, I'm also not a doctor, so I'm also not a reporter. I can't make that determination like they did. Reporters obviously do not know if he's under distress. He looked to me like he's upset for getting getting um, arrested or getting put in handcuffs. So at 2013, that's 813 hours, about five minutes after the first contact, uh, Floyd is told why he's he's being detained. And he clearly says he understands why he's being handcuffed or why he was handcuffed. At 2015 or 815, two minutes later, the officers walked Floyd to the scout car, which is, I remember I told you, is across the street. Um, as the officers get to the scout car, Floyd falls, and it's really unclear. From I see that video from uh, from the from the convenience store, which was closest to Floyd's car. Um, 
it looked to me like he slipped off the curb. It's not exactly clear. And when, and the officer's body cam doesn't catch it because it's, you know, the officer's body cam is chest level. So you don't see what happened, but it looked to me like one of his feet slipped off the curb. They stand him back up. He didn't fight. Um, they stand him back up. Once they get him up is when you can hear him when he starts telling the officers that, that he's claustrophobic and that he can't get in the back of the scout car. Um, and this is, in my opinion, this is the only time during the incident that Floyd's criminal past is relevant. And I'll get into his criminal past in a little bit. But the only time it's relevant is when he's refusing to get in the car. And that's because he's been in the back of a scout car many times. He can know, he knows he can get in there. He knows he can be fine. Um, based on my experience, he's delaying the ride to jail. You know, most officers have seen this prior to any, prior to being placed in a scout car, a suspect feels like they still have a chance to talk their way out of jail. You know, the feeling kind of sinks in for Floyd that he's going to jail when they start to put him in the car. And that's when you can see the, he, he escalates the situation, you know, and I told you before in, in our many other um, podcasts that, most of the time when when an officer has a deadly force incident, had the person just complied, the deadly force incident probably would not occur. And as I've said many times in the past, this does not um, negate the fact that the officers use excessive force or if they do use excessive force, because no matter what they do, I mean, you know, excessive force is obviously not not okay. All right. So at 2016 hours and 37 seconds, Floyd is now actively resisting the officers. Um, they're trying to get him in the scout car. I see him stiffen up. He doesn't want to bend at the waist. He refuses to bend at the waist and sit in the car. So um, right about this time is when Chauvin and Tao arrive at, and they have it, the officers now, Lane and Kang, have him partially in the car, um, but he's not all the way in the car. Chauvin goes around to the rear passenger door and pulls Floyd through the scout car and to the ground beside the, the rear wheel of the, of the car. Uh, it would be the back rear wheel of the car. I'm, I'm sorry, the back rear wheel. That makes sense. It would be the back passenger side wheel of the car. And I didn't have a problem with Chauvin pulling Floyd from the passenger side or to the passenger side because sometimes if you pull a suspect further over in the seat, another officer can get the other door shut and you, it'll clear the legs and you can get the door shut. Um, in this case, Chauvin pulled him all the way through and onto the ground. And I've done this when someone's actively resisting, which at this time Floyd was. Um, you know, he's not fighting, he's handcuffed, but you can still resist when you're handcuffed. Um, and, you know, sometimes it happens by accident when the suspect uses the officer's momentum um, as they're pulling him and they just come all the way out of the car. So, once Chauvin gets gets um, Floyd down, Floyd's now on his stomach, and that's when he makes the initial statement that he cannot breathe. So I can see that Chauvin does not yet have his full weight on Floyd. Now, I'm basing this on body cam video. The, the fact that Floyd says he cannot breathe would not alarm me at this point because you hear that statement many times, especially when a suspect is actively resisting. And, you know, they're exerting themselves, and they get out of... they they get out of breath. So you hear that a lot. It wouldn't necessarily alarm me, but at 2020, Chauvin now has his knee and all his weight on Floyd's neck. Um, in my opinion, um, Chauvin is, is, is punishing Floyd by grinding his jaw and his mouth into the pavement. And I have a huge problem with this. And like I said, Chauvin is definitely punishing George Floyd 
with his knee, just grinding it. If you look at the, especially the cell phone video, you can really see it. He, he grinds George Floyd's face into the ground. And, you know, officers are taught never to punish the suspect on the street. That's up to the court system. And no matter what the media wants to tell you, 99% of the time, officers never punish the suspect on the street. Obviously, there's, there's some cases, as in this case. So at 2020, officers call for EMS, and they call for EMS Code 2, which means a slightly upgraded response, but not lights and sirens and not violating traffic regulations. Um, they say Floyd is bleeding from the mouth. That also provides evidence that Chauvin was grinding his, his mouth into the pavement. Um, because when Chauvin first pulls him through, Floyd lands on his butt and then they lay down. So, so that's not the cause of the, of the bloody mouth. Now at 2023 and 49 seconds, officer lane, um, he's, he's at, at Chauvin's kind of butt area, feet area. And he says, do you want to roll, roll him on his side? He says, you want to roll him on his side? And he's talking directly to Chauvin and Chauvin says, no, um, in my opinion, by moving Floyd to his side, they probably could have prevented what's termed positional asphyxiation. Um, and I said, told you before, I'm no doctor, but through training, the way I understand it is you move them to their side and you relieve the pressure on their diaphragm, making it easier to breathe. Lane also asked Chauvin about a hobble restraint, and Chauvin says no. Let me tell you, a hobble restraint, um, hobble restraint has a belt that goes around the suspect's waist and a strap that goes around his ankles. Um, you connect the strap to the belt and it prevents a suspect from kicking or pushing his way out of the car. And what Lane wanted to do was hobble him and then put him in the car. Um, it, that That's what they should have done. This is where Lane and Kang, in my opinion, really messed up and ultimately cost them a conviction and a trip to prison. And you kind of can blame it on what I've read. I, I obviously was not an officer in Minneapolis, but you've read about a, a culture in the Minneapolis Police Department um, that probably didn't allow Lane and Kang to be more assertive because they were new officers. You know, I said these officers were brand new and they were looking at Chauvin for direction. And Chauvin, Chauvin from my opinion, from about this time, 20, 23 hours, when Lane asked him to roll him on his side until the end of the incident, Chauvin is acting out of the scope of his authority. You know, Kang and Lane wanted to do the right thing, but they were not assertive enough. You know, to be clear, they would have been putting themselves in a tough situation by directing a senior officer, but it was needed and they should have moved Floyd to his side and immediately placed him in a hobble restraint after putting him on the ground. Um, I know, you know, before... Reports reports said that um, Floyd had fentanyl in his system, but I believe he would be alive today if Kang and Lane would have been more assertive. So at 20:25 and 54 seconds, Kang checks Floyd's pulse on his right wrist. You never hear Kang tell the other officers if he gets a pulse. So in addition, you can see that at 20:25, the crowd who is gathered is telling Chauvin that Floyd is not responsive. Um, at this point to me, it's, it's, it's very clear to me that Chauvin is doing nothing but punishing Floyd. Floyd's not a threat and he's not been a threat since he was pulled from the car. Um, Chauvin even has his hands in his pockets as he puts all his weight on Floyd's neck. So, uh, I, I just don't get it. Somebody, one of those four officers, one of those three officers besides Chauvin should have made Chauvin get off him. 
Okay. At 2027 20, and 47 seconds, EMS arrives. They check for pulse. I can only assume that Floyd still had a pulse because EMS did not step up any life-saving efforts. And in fact, they didn't immediately have Chauvin get off Floyd. Um, I can't find any reports from EMS that clearly say if he did or did not have a pulse at this point in time. But it's almost exactly one minute later before EMS finally has Chauvin get off Floyd. And based on, on the audio, it appears that he only, he only did so after EMS asked him to do so. So at this point in time, he had been on Chauvin's neck for almost exactly nine minutes. And Floyd had been visibly unconscious for at least four minutes. So he's loaded into the ambulance at 20:29 and 30 seconds. Still no CPR, so I can only assume that Floyd had a pulse. All right. Um, one very odd thing that happened, EMS leaves shortly after. Uh, one odd thing that happened that I've never seen happen before is that after EMS left, so they're on the way to the hospital, they request the fire department to help. Um, that tells me probably at that point they had lost Floyd's pulse. But in 20 years of, of law enforcement for me, I've never heard EMS call for fire to assist after they've left the scene. And the reason is they would have to stop tell fire where they were, give them a location, then wait for fire to respond, and then go to the hospital. So it would obviously have been quicker uh, to begin CPR and go code three to the hospital. And, you know, when a, in call routing, and, and it's, it's, I, I'm assuming it's the same in the, few, um, in the few 911 centers that I've been in, a call is routed initially, you call 911, it goes to the police. Um, if it's a, if it's a uh, check the welfare call like a medical call then we route it to fire and EMS so for EMS to to request that fire come it would have went to the EMS dispatcher who would have then called fire dispatch and said hey can you respond and then they would have to get get um, locations and things like that so as I told you I, I don't know why they did this, and it doesn't appear. I can't find where fire ever actually caught up with them or if they just went on to the hospital EMS is what I'm talking about. Okay? So I can tell you some of the things that were brought up by the far left and far right media after the incident to me were irrelevant to the case. Um, the far right media kept bringing up Floyd's criminal history, his prior arrest and, his car and incarcerations, and to me they were irrelevant at the scene because the officers – especially King and Lane likely had no idea about Floyd's past, Floyd's criminal past. You know, they were brand new. A seasoned officer sometimes will get to know the people in their district and know their criminal history. Um, when I was on the gang task force, you would see a gangster and you know, Oh, you know, T-Bone has a, T-Bone has a, has a warrant. So you, you kind of know their criminal history, but I highly doubt Lane and Kang would have know, would have known. Now I will say, Chauvin may have known because um, there's evidence that, that said uh, Chauvin and Floyd worked at a bar together where Floyd was an announce, uh, bouncer and Chauvin worked off-duty security. But what I've read, they really didn't interact. There was a guy initially that came out and claimed that they knew each other and they didn't like each other. That's kind of been debunked. Um, the owner of the club said that Floyd worked inside and Chauvin worked outside. So they may have had contact, but it doesn't appear that they that they knew each other. Um, so, and to go on the far right media, far right media made a big deal 
about the fentanyl in Floyd's system. And I told you earlier, I believe 100% that they had the officers turn Floyd on his side and placed him in a hobble restraint that he would have at least survived the encounter with police. Now, there's no way of me knowing that if he wouldn't have OD'd on fentanyl later on the way to the hospital if, if it was enough in his system. Um, but I don't think he would have been murdered by the police. And then the far left media... They made a big deal out of the previous deadly force encounters and complaints against Tao and Chauvin. Um, I think Chauvin had been in three uh, three shootings, one fatal. Um, Tao had had some had had some complaints, and once again, to me, those are totally irrelevant. Just like each of Floyd's previous criminal encounters, these officers' previous encounters are totally different events. Just because an officer's been in a deadly force encounter doesn't mean that he's a bad officer. It, in fact, it likely means that you were that you were at a, a high risk and deadly force incident because the the vast majority of deadly force incidents are are cleared and are warranted by the police. So and and I will tell you officers regularly get complained on. I will never forget I probably had four years on and I got complained on because I was being too nice while giving a ticket. Somebody called and complained that I was being too nice. You know, so so no, and no matter the complaint, the department always must do an investigation. So even if the complaint is frivolous, so the far left making a big deal out of the officer's complaints is, is really not a, the case. If I would have been in a shooting, they would have said I had a complaint based on being too nice to give a ticket. And they would have never given out that I was too nice. They would have just said I had a complaint. So I do believe, in my opinion, that body cameras have 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 made proving or disproving complaints easier, which also leads me to, do you remember I told you if, if a suspect just complies 99% of the time, these incidents do not happen. And especially now with body cameras, there's an avenue. If you feel like you're improperly arrested, there's an avenue to go. Those, those body camera videos are public record. So I'll tell you, Chauvin was later convicted of unintentional second-degree murder. He received a 22-year sentence. Um, Lane received 2.5 years, and Kang was sentenced to three years. Both of those were for accessory. Um, Tao got four years for accessory. And I haven't really mentioned um, Tao, but we'll talk about him in a minute. So I believe Chauvin was properly charged and convicted. He was absolutely punishing Floyd on the street. He had no business with his with his knee on Floyd's neck for any amount of time, let alone nine minutes. Um, when we're taught custody and defensive tactics training, you're taught to place your knee across someone's back at a 45-degree angle, kind of between their shoulder blades from their shoulder down at a 45-degree angle. And this is only to gain control of someone, uh, to place a hobble restraint on someone, to handcuff them. It's not for a prolonged period, especially not nine minutes. Um, Lane and Kang, to me, are, pay are, are paying for not being more assertive. They knew Chauvin was wrong. You hear them voice that, their concern, but they didn't take any action to save him. And, you know, I told you I talked to you about Tao. I'll be honest, when I first saw the video that was mostly cell phone video, I thought that Tao was improperly charged from this because from the cell phone video that you initially saw in the news, Tao is keeping the crowd away from the officers, which is which is unfortunately what officers. It's a regular thing now. You have to watch. You have to have officers to watch the crowd while you're making an arrest because people are attacking officers at an unprecedented rate. Um, but when I saw the body cam and the surveillance video, Tao is definitely more culpable. Than Kang and Lane. He was a senior officer. And 
I saw Tao standing right next to Chauvin as he had as he had his knee in Floyd's neck. And this was in the middle of grinding Floyd's face in the ground. Tao should have taken charge and made Floyd made Chauvin get off Floyd. Um, you know, it's just it was just unacceptable. Um, the media and politicians decided after all this that it was right to punish law enforcement all over the country. Um, I was an officer for 20 years, and you will not find one officer in this country that believes that what Chauvin did was proper. And if you do, they need to be gone. So not one officer that I worked with, not one officer from other agencies who I've talked with believes Chauvin was right. He was wrong. He murdered a man on the street. So, you know, I want to also discuss the protest that happened afterwards. You know, buildings were burned down, innocent small business owners were ruined, and innocent people were killed. In my opinion, there was a real chance for change to occur after this incident because no one no one wants to see a man die on the street. I don't care if you're a police officer, if you're a far left politician, if you're a far right politician. So, but these protests, they turn violent, and when they turn violent, you know, you turn middle America against the protests, against you. They don't want these protests. People will say, well, that's the only way you get things done. Well, that's not true, and that doesn't make it right. So so in the end, you know, I, I believe Chauvin, all the officers were charged and properly and properly convicted and and are doing are paying for their actions. It's unfortunate that a man had to die to see this. As, and as I told you, I believe that we had a real chance for change had had all the protests not turned violent. I, I don't have a problem with protests at all. I think that when you start protesting like like burning buildings down or blocking interstates, things like that, when you start when you start messing with middle America, whether you like it or not, you turn them against you. I mean, it, it just is what it is. You won't find any person that believes all, everything that happened in Seattle and Portland and Austin, Texas, all those things that happened after. And, and, and coincidentally, most of those are, well, all of those are, are, are more liberal cities. And you see that happening. Now, I worked for Oklahoma City at the time. We had a little bit of protest, but it was one night. Um, uh, a police car got vandalized and burned. I think another police van got burned. But... Compared to other cities, we have very little violence here, and I think mainly because it's a more conservative area. So I want to thank you guys again. Um, this went a little over. We're about 27 minutes right now. I, I try to keep these to 20 minutes, and but I think it was necessary to show. Um, I want to tell you guys also, we're on Facebook under the Liberal Conservative Podcast. Um, last week I boosted, two weeks ago, I boosted the post. We, we kind of sponsor posts to get them out there. And I boosted the, the Betty Shelby Tulsa police case and Facebook rejected it and said that it didn't meet the guidelines. Um, I don't, I don't know why, but I, if you please go to my page and listen and, and please share this. I'm going to, I will post this. I, I anticipate Facebook rejecting it again. Um, will you please share it? I, I would appreciate it. I, I totally appreciate my listeners. We're up to like 80 some odd listeners now. And I, I, I really thank you. It's, it's impressive. It's only been going on for about uh, two months now. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Um, please come back and listen to, to the conservative podcast. We'll have another episode in two weeks. 
Um, we're bouncing around some ideas. I think we're going to go with some elections, start going through the candidates, the elections coming up. So thank you guys again. I appreciate you. Please come back and listen to the Liberal Conservative Podcast, and I will talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Thank you.